How do we design care for the whole person? It's a challenge for healthcare professionals in primary care practices, community hospitals, and ambulatory care centers. If you're listening to WIHI today, it might be a challenge at your organization as well. That's why we're proud to invite you to this year's IHI Summit on Improving Patient Care, being held April 26th through the 28th in San Diego, California. With more than 30 sessions of workshops, learning labs, inspirational keynote presentations, and a myriad of networking opportunities, you'll have the opportunity to explore cutting-edge improvement and engage with colleagues from all over the country on how to confront the mutual challenges of modern healthcare. This year, we're focusing on process, people, and partnerships, emphasizing new strategies around high-risk patients and populations, strengthening your workforce culture, and developing relationships between primary and specialty care. For more information on the summit, including scholarship opportunities for students and residents, visit IHI.org summit, or shoot us an email at info at IHI.org. Now here's WIHI. There is much discussion about healthcare clinicians and staff being burned out these days, and equally what many individuals and groups are doing to address issues contributing to frustration and despair. IHI's own joy in work framing and programming includes the powerful idea of leaders asking staff what matters to you to jumpstart more honest conversations about problems at work and to generate solutions. Simultaneous to these efforts, there's a new and perhaps in some cases renewed interest in the benefits of mindfulness for the healthcare workforce. And that's what we're going to pause or where we're going to pause for the next hour on this edition of WIHI. And I want to welcome you to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you live bi-weekly, and after the show, you can find us on IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and director and producer. Boy, I gave myself a new title. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I, of course, am IHI's Director of Communications. We are excited about today's WIHI for a couple of reasons, starting with the fact that our panelists are the lead author and a contributing author of a popular online course on mindfulness that was created for the IHI Open School. Now, the course is tailored to the needs of people who are about to be or now are working in the health professions, and it includes these great mindfulness exercises that can be used during the workday. It absolutely, these exercises very much have the healthcare system in mind and what a typical day might be uh, like for you. So we're actually going to be guided through one of these exercises, a first for us on WIHI. So two introductions in just a minute, but first here's IHI's John Gothier. He's going to remind you how to make the most of your time with us. John. All right. Thanks, Madge. Uh, just a few items to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. Uh, on the right of the screen, it's our chat window. Uh, and I, if you've tuned into WIHI, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. Uh, and some of you already asked some questions. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions after our, our discussion with our guests. So make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Madge opens up the floor to questions. This allows everyone on the WebEx to see your questions and comments. Now, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto the computer and listening to the program by streaming audio coming through speakers or headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner. It says audio broadcast. If you're on a less reliable internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. The number is on all the slides. If you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat. A simple solution to any audio hiccup may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then just press play. If that problem persists, please let the folks at IHI Customer Service know. We have their number on the screen right now. 
Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slides, I'll provide a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at our archive over at IHI.org WIHI, along with the chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and they'll send them your way. Finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here. We need your help for that. Please take some time after the program to fill out our very quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Madge. All right. Thanks, John. We'll get that uh, a link to the slides there in the chat any minute now. Uh, and we're going to turn to the chat and your comments and questions for real at about the halfway point of the show. We welcome your tweeting during after the program. Thanks for using the hashtag WIHI in your tweets. And at the IHI is our handle. You can include that, too. All right, I want to now introduce our panel, and also I want to acknowledge that for the first time on uh, WHI, we're actually uh, incorporating uh, our guests on camera, and we're very excited about that. So uh, another uh, kind of hallmark uh, program for us today. On the phone from Arizona, I want to welcome Terry Pipe. She's Dean of the College of Nursing and Health Innovation and Chief Wellbeing Officer at Arizona State University. She's an expert on nursing leadership, interprofessionalism, and mindfulness. She has received numerous prestigious awards and recognitions, and it's a real privilege to welcome Terry to WIHI. Terry, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Matt. Okay, closer to home, up north, Kate Fitzpatrick is a senior VP and chief nursing officer at the University of Vermont Medical Center. Kate has a diverse background, including clinical roles in surgery and trauma, emergency nursing. She currently has a joint appointment serving as an associate dean for academic and practice integration at the University of Vermont College of Nursing and Health Sciences. So welcome, Kate. Thank you so much. All right. Kate, we're going to start with you. And uh, as we've been saying now for weeks promoting this uh, WIHI today, why are we talking about mindfulness and the healthcare workforce in the same sentence? What's pulling these two things together? Well, first of all, Madge, thanks again. It's such a privilege to join the program today. And I think I'd like to start answering your question by remarking on what's happening to us as humans. And the reality is that we're exposed to enormous sensory inputs in the course of our daily lives. And I think, as we all know, this has significantly increased through our reliance on technology like smartphones. And so it's almost like I hear people talk about their phones as their peripheral brains and how their phone feels like an extension of their body, and most of us can't function normally without it. So when you consider what clinicians are experiencing, they too have ex very extensive sensory-rich environments that they're practicing in, and they have the added stress that there's human lives at stake. And so as you think about what a clinician has to attend to in a given interaction, there is so much data that's coming at them, whether it's visual data, auditory data, tactile data, and it requires uh, clinicians to adopt some level of multitasking just to provide the care and interventions that they need to do. And we have much more patient care technology that's at the, at the bedside and incorporated into the way we give care. You think about smart infusion pumps, sophisticated hemodynamic monitoring, I think about all the different types of alarms. And so as I start to paint a picture of that environment, you very quickly begin to see that 
we create these environments of sensory overload. And then you take it a step further and you think about what patients experience when they have a care provider that's navigating what I just described. And what they experience, and what I hear is that they experience hurriedness or distractedness, and at times they can sense a, a lack of compassion or a lack of caring because they experience their providers as just so um, stressed from all the sensory inputs that they have to they have to attend to. So what mindfulness brings to clinicians and why I've been so excited about mindfulness and the potential of what it can bring to the human interaction with patients is that it's very accessible, very easy approaches that allow us to quiet the mind. And I see we have a definition that's displayed on the screen now for our listeners about um, what we mean by mindfulness. And really mindfulness really is just about a time where we quiet our minds, we still our minds, we begin to adopt a much quieter, calmer sense around us, we, we soften our breathing, and so we just adopt this, this place for ourselves where we can be fully present and where we can really experience empathy in a much different and greater way. So mindfulness is just one tool to help us as we think about how we support our teams and the workloads that they carry, the stress they carry and face. But I really believe it's a really powerful tool that we haven't really fully um, optimized as a, as a part of our toolkits as clinicians. And we really, what Terry and I have been really excited about is how we can continue to bring information to clinicians in a very accessible way so that they can begin to embed this in their daily work. So one of the things, Madge, I know we're going to talk about a little bit today, but that's why I'm so excited about the new content on the IHI Open School that's really focused broadly for healthcare clinicians around mindfulness in clinical practice, relevant no matter what type of clinical provider you are. So I think um, it, would, it would be really helpful to just spend a few minutes and talk about um, the benefits of mindfulness. And you see on the screen now, this is made, we're making headway in terms of how we're talking about mindfulness, both in in the clinical literature and also in the popular press. You see the cover of Time Magazine there. And so um, what we understand from neuroscience is that we know that mindfulness is good for our brains, right? We know that um, when we think about how we coach people to strengthen their bodies, we talk about exercise. And actually, when we talk about how we strengthen our brains, we actually do the very opposite. We talk about how quieting the brain and giving our brain rest is actually how we can strengthen it. And that's really the power behind mindfulness. And mindfulness, we know, changes our brain. It changes our physiology. And it does that in a number of different ways. We know that mindfulness practice will allow us to change our breathing patterns, which has an impact on our heart rate, which has a subsequent impact on our blood pressure. We know that mindfulness practice strengthens the prefrontal cortex, as you can see on the slide we have displayed, which allows us to enhance our focus and our memory. And these impacts on the brain are critically important because these outcomes of being mindful directly correlate with the improvements that we um, have been really excited to see and how this impacts patient safety. So let me say a little bit more about that. So when people are focused, and they're able to pay close attention, 
they're not hurrying, and they're really grounded in the present moment, they're much less likely to make an error. And so that's another really powerful, powerful connection that we try to bring out in our open school lesson on, on the benefits of how we can take this chaotic environment that clinicians are in and give them tools to really bring themselves into the present moment, to really focus in a different way. And it not only helps them and helps us in the realm of patient safety, it also really has great benefits for our patients. And so what we know and what I've already alluded to is patients experience us as much more empathetic. They feel that they have a sense of being heard in a different way and understood in a different way. And it lessens their anxiety because they feel like people are really attending to them and paying attention to them in a much more um, significant way. So lots of benefits, both physical from um, psychological perspective, um, really powerful stuff. So what I want to uh, acknowledge is that, of course, uh, Kate is uh, kind of giving us the high level <laughs> uh, of some of this. We do collect, as we build a WIHI program, an enormous number of references and resources. So some of the things that Kate is talking about in terms of benefits and impact, uh, the burgeoning field of looking at what difference mindfulness might make in terms of errors and safety, we've captured a lot of that. Uh, Vicki Minden, who's here in the studio with us, will chat in maybe a few of those things, but I do invite you to take a look at the resource uh, document that we always post to our website uh, at the conclusion of, of every program, because I think it's important for people uh, to read on and, and start to sort of get to know the literature yourself. So thanks, Kate, for setting that. And I want to ask Kate and Terry, so we're kind of WIHI in the raw here, nothing hidden, all transparent. If you do have the capability of turning on your cameras again, both of you, uh, we can make sure <laughs> that you're... There she is. There's Kate Fitzpatrick um, up there in snowy Vermont. And here we are in snowy Boston. So thank you, Kate, very much. Um, you're very welcome. Okay. So we'll be back to you in just a minute to talk a little bit more about the IHI Open School course. Uh, Terry, it's easy to assume uh, mindfulness this is one of those notions that's uh, gotten out there in a widespread way, which of course is a good thing, but I imagine it can start to be used in some loose ways as well. And I wonder if there's anything you'd like to say about mindfulness that might uh, kind of uh, reinforce uh, or further highlight uh, some of what Kate started with. And we'll also put up some of your slides. Thanks. Thank you so much. Uh, so Kate did a great job of giving the, the overview and diving into some of the, the physiological and mental benefits, both for clinicians and for patients. Um, I, I do want to say that mindfulness is a skill set. It's like any other skill set, like a sport or a, a musical instrument, that having the chance to practice uh, really makes it so much easier then when you're in the game, and in our life, the game is life, or it is uh, taking care of patients. So thinking about mindfulness as a skill set and having a practice, it's really important, I think, to have a little bit of um, guided practice so that you can build that resource so that when you are in the real world, it's much easier to, to figure out how to get into that state of being. 
And so when I think about mindfulness, uh, the attitudes that are on the, the screen, the non-judging, patience, inner's mind, trust, non-striving, acceptance, and letting go, these are things that were identified by John Kabat-Zinn at UMass Medical Center. These are just the, the attitudes that we bring to our mindfulness practice. And I, I would like to say that often mindfulness seems like it's very um, mystical or that it's mystifying, and that really it's a very uh, common human experience. And so when we get into a mindful state, it actually feels quite familiar and comfortable. Um, it is just a natural and normal way of being um, and a way of being present in the moment with some intentionality and purpose. So once we have that uh, practice and you sort of know what it, it feels like, uh, then you can bring mindful awareness into things, normal activities of daily life, like walking or writing an email or answering the telephone. So while it, it's really nice to have a set-aside practice, the ideal is that you become familiar with what it, it feels like to be mindful, and then you integrate it into more and more of your life so that eventually we are all much more awake and alive for uh, the, the life that's before us, the good, the bad, the everything. And certainly people understand us a little bit differently and they experience us a little bit differently when we bring that deep presence uh, to whatever it is that we're doing. Uh, certainly in leadership life, whether it's leading your own life or leading others, um, mindfulness is a very important competency because when we know ourselves, uh, we're much more likely to be understood as authentic and genuine to others. I would like to mention a couple of things that mindfulness is not, just to, to be clear. So mindfulness is not a religion. It's uh, based in a lot of uh, deep wisdom traditions and many cultures, um, but it does not require a religion and it should not interfere with the belief system in order to be practiced. It's much more than just breathing. We often use the breath as an anchor for awareness, but it's so much more than breathing. It is also more than stress management. So often we do see that stress reduces with mindfulness, uh, but that's actually not the reason to do it. The reason is to be alive and awake for life. And then lastly, it's not about zoning out. We actually know that the brain is very active and connected when we're practicing mindfulness. And as Kate said, the connections between the brain get stronger, the brain function and structure actually change. So mindfulness is basically paying attention with intention to the present moment. Okay. Well, thank you. Really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you, Terry. All right. What we're going to do now is uh, we thought it would be helpful to uh, just look uh, a little bit. Uh, John Gothier here made just a couple of screenshots from the IHI Open School course. Uh, it's been, uh, what shall we say, I don't know if this is the correct thing you say for a mindfulness course, that it's been a blockbuster, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's been offered free now for quite a while. Uh, it uh, really has, uh, or gone off the shelves. Uh, and uh, people have, uh, I think, over 450, maybe close to 500 have actually completed the course. Many, many more are starting the course. I think we've had over 1,100, excuse me, 11,000 views 
of uh, these exercises that we'll also be able to share a link to. So, Kate, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about that open school course so people can get oriented. And if you didn't look at it before uh, today, you can do so afterwards, and then we'll return to Terry. Thanks. Oh, thanks, Madge. I'd be delighted to do that. I thought it'd be interesting just to share the history of how we came to the IHI Open School with this content. I had the great opportunity to spend a day in Boston just about a year ago, coincidentally also in a big snowstorm. And I had been doing work with Terry and a couple of other national nurse leaders uh, through the Robert Wood Johnson Executive Nurse Fellowship on Mindfulness. And when we were at the IHI, I got um, more exposure to the open school. And I started to have these connections of how powerful this content would be because this open school focuses in three really uh, specific areas, quality, safety, and patient and family centeredness. And I thought, wow, mindfulness is such a, a critical tool that can have great impacts in all three of those domains. And so it led to my having a conversation with leaders at IHI to say, I think we need to um, invest. And I was gratefully funded through Robert Wood Johnson Foundation to actually put the course together. But as you can see on the screen, that gives you an overview of the content that we cover. And what we've tried to do is capture the voices of not only clinicians, both physicians, nurses, respiratory therapy, we also capture patient voices in this, um, in this lesson. And we focus on the very fundamentals of what is mindfulness, how does it help, why does it work. We spend a fair amount of time on practical ways that you can access mindfulness in the course of doing clinical work. We spend uh, a fair amount of time just to talk about some of the critical safety moments and Really, a goal of ours was to provide lots of practical tools um, for clinicians. And so I think that's one of the great things about the course. So I thought maybe I would just reference a couple of those very practical tools just to give you a flavor. And so one of the things that we cover in this section of kind of the practical accessing of mindfulness is this idea of um, the purposeful pause, and you can see on the screen there that picture of two of our fabulous UVM Medical Center nurses. And, and really what this is about is having you think about as a clinician that the threshold of the patient room becomes really a pause point, a very intentional place where you pause, where you take a few breaths, you shift your focus to the patient that will be in front of you, you begin to calm your energy and really connect again in the present moment. And so this picture is meant to illustrate that we don't typically do that, right? So this is, these are nurses that are active in kind of doing a lot of things as they just move into that next patient interaction. And the idea is what are the opportunities we can take to really take that crossing the threshold moment and recenter our energy in a different way. Another really great uh, practical strategy that we talk about is hand washing or foaming of your hands. So taking that moment before you enter a patient interaction and being very mindful in how you pay attention to the motions of foaming or washing your hands. So noticing uh, what the soap feels like on your hands, the temperature that you experience. Again, noticing your breath and really taking a few moments just to prepare yourself to be fully present as you connect with a new patient. And then another just critical um, 
transition point that we talk about in terms of a practical moment for patient safety is the idea of uh, critical patient transitions, particularly um, at the start of cases or procedures or as we do handoffs. And so I think about the example of the timeout that we do before we do a um, clinical procedure. And that's really meant to assure that all are fully present and engaged. And we like to extend that and say, what are the other opportunities when you're doing a critical handoff or you're transitioning care where you can really stop and have the team focus and become fully present and begin to focus in a different way, again, to calm their energy, to begin to attend, to begin to really focus um, in a much more keen way. And so those are just a couple of the examples that we share. There are wonderful printed resources that are available in the kind of form of a toolkit that are available on the lesson. We go through a body scan both as a videotaped session with one of our um, cancer researchers here who leads us through that. So lots of wonderful, wonderful information. I do hope that those that are on who haven't checked it out would, uh, would go ahead and check it out. Okay, thank you, okay. thank you, Kate. I appreciate it, um, and uh, good to see uh, we have a, those images. And again, if you click on the link to the course, you can uh, you you can see this in full. And uh, it doesn't take that long to actually go through the course, um, but of course, you can do it in an even richer way and start doing some of the exercises. So to set things up, we're going to go back to Terry now before we go to Q and A. And I promised that uh, with Terry's help, we're going to do uh, kind of a short but important exercise called the body scan. Some of you may be familiar with that. Um, but I thought I'd start off by asking uh, Terry, how hard is it to learn these mindfulness exercises? Um, in many ways, it does seem very accessible and simple, and yet we're all pretty revved during the day, I would imagine, uh, all of us, even if we don't work in healthcare, <laughs> but uh, in healthcare maybe in particular. Thanks, Terry. So how easy is it? It's, um, it's relatively easy to, to do the, the skill of mindfulness. However, I think the hard part is just remembering. And so once we have signals in our environment that help us to remember, to practice mindfully, and Kate brought up an excellent one, the, the door, the threshold, whether that's walking into a patient room or a home or an exam room or into a meeting. So having those signals to remind us how to come back to ourselves, into our authentic presence. So it isn't, it's, it's very simple. I think the, the hardest thing, again, is just having those signals. And so when, I, when people are asking me you know, how to learn mindfulness, um, certainly the, the module at the, the open school is an excellent way to learn. And then to practice, what I often say is find ways to remind you in your life. And one very simple way that I use is that my password for my uh, email and, and sort of our, um, our platform here at ASU, I always have my email password be something that will prime me, a word that will prime me into how I want to be. So thinking about, you know, what, what is the way that I want to be. Um, so a, a second way is to, you know, all of us sort of have our to-do list, our task list. 
So in addition to that, or maybe on top of that, right, how do you want to be? What's your attitude that you want to bring? Is it gratitude? Is it wholeheartedness? Is it open-mindedness? You know, it probably changes every day. But having an intention about what what is your presence, what's your preferred presence for the day, I think is extremely powerful. And I do want to reassure you that um, anyone can learn these these practices. I've been really privileged to work with so many populations from uh, very severely ill patients, uh, family caregivers. Now I work a lot with college students and children. You know, children in elementary school now are learning uh, these practices of how to gather our attention and to be really present in uh, the moment so that they can be calm and centered and um, really be able to, to interact with the environment uh, in a much more thoughtful way. And as Kate uh, brought us to at the beginning of the hour, you know, the disruptions and interruptions that, that all of us are encountering right now in society are a real uh, force, but I deeply believe that we have a well of resource inside of us to help us cope with that kind of uh, very disruptive environment. Okay, thanks, Terry. Thanks, Terry and Kate both. Okay, so Terry, uh, this can, I guess, I'm sure it's like an accordion in a way. A body scan can take a couple of minutes longer. We're going to do a short version of a body scan just to give you an idea. And um, I'm going to turn that over to Terry and uh, invite you to take this opportunity to do something a little different in your workday as we're doing here on uh, WIHI. Go ahead, Terry. Thank you so much. So this will be five minutes, and as Madge said, this could be 40 minutes, but we're going to bring it to five. So if you'll just trust me with your attention for these next five minutes, uh, I'll walk you through your body, something that you're very, very uh, familiar with, but we'll bring your awareness to it. So I want to, to prime you by saying that you can tailor this to other situations, getting ready for sleep, getting ready for a meeting, getting ready for a patient encounter. You can tailor this. Uh, so keep that in mind as we go. So to begin with, uh, I would ask you to get your body in an upright and dignified posture so that you can really be uh, active in your sitting or your standing, wherever, uh, whatever you're doing right now. And then you are invited to close your eyes, if, close your eyes if that's safe for you. If you're driving, don't do that. Uh, but if you're uh, able to, go ahead and let your eyes close or your gaze soften. And then beginning with your head, bring a real grateful awareness to your body, starting with your scalp, really focusing on your scalp, letting go of any tension that you might find there. And then having your awareness come down to your forehead, smoothing your forehead and the area around your eyes, letting your eyes soften, the skin under your eyes become relaxed and smooth. Your cheeks can soften, letting go of anything, any tension that might be in your tongue or your lips. Just moving with grateful awareness down over your whole head, your ears, the sides of your head to your neck. And so bringing gratitude 
and appreciation to your senses, to your brain, to everything that falls into your face, how we recognize and see you. And then gently bringing awareness into your throat and your neck. Again, letting go, opening, softening, bringing awareness down to your shoulders and down your arms, all the way to your hands and fingers. Grateful for these hands that are meant to give and to receive. Grateful for the fingerprints and palm prints that are yours alone in the world, very unique to you. And then bringing gentle awareness back to your torso from your neck all the way to your hip creases, maybe pausing around the area of your chest and your heart. Being grateful for every beat that your heart has uh, pumped blood, even since before you were born. So gratitude for your heart, the courage and love that comes from the symbol of your heart. And then bringing awareness down again through your abdomen, imagining all the functions that go on to balance your body physiologically without your control or awareness. So gratitude for that. And then bringing awareness down your legs from your hip creases to your knees. So finding where you're sitting in the chair, the front of your legs and the back of your legs. Being grateful for these large muscles and joints that allow you to propel through life. And then just gentle awareness through your legs from your knees all the way to your ankles and through your feet, moving all the way from the balls of your feet to your toes, imagining perhaps all of the steps that you've walked and run and danced and moved through life and coming to rest with gratitude for your feet. And now maybe uh, letting go one more time of any tension or uncomfort that might be in your body. And maybe lastly, imagining a, a big butterfly net that goes from your head and sweeps all the way through your body, over your body, to your toes, just sweeping away any residual tension or tightness that you no longer need and leaving you feeling very centered, embodied, powerful, engaged, and energized for whatever is next in your day. And then just bringing a very uh, soft awakening to your eyes, some movements to your fingers and toes, and now you're ready for whatever comes next. Thank you, Terry. Thank you very much. Think of me as the, the ding. The, uh, the on the on the, <laughs> uh, the completion, not quite as soothing, maybe, but uh, I appreciate. It. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and I I thank everyone for going on uh, this adventure a little bit with us uh, to try to kind of use our technology today. We're connecting with several hundred of you, and uh, we hope uh, maybe you can listen back to the show, or you'll tell others about it. 
So I want to invite everyone now, I'm sorry if I'm uh, getting people out of that uh, state too quickly. If you feel like, uh, thanks Terry, thanks Kate for everything you've shared thus far. If anyone feels like chatting in, uh, kind of their relationship, or just how that body scan might have just felt, uh, kind of what sorts of things you may be doing in this realm with mindfulness already, uh, in your life, uh, how you might incorporate it into healthcare. If you're doing any of those things, we'd certainly love uh, to know what your experience has been like and if you have any uh, ideas and suggestions. Um, so I want to do that. Chat to all participants so we can all see uh, your questions. Um, let me start with this question to Kate. What do you say to those who worry that mindfulness is all very, very nice and might sort of, you know, get my brow unfurrowed uh, for the day or help that headache, um, but it's not addressing the underlying issues that I know are really a problem in, in our department, and I'm worried that people are going to say, uh, you just need to relax. Um, so um, you've probably heard that before. What do you say, Kate? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's a reality, honestly, Madge. And mindfulness is just one tool, right? And it is, as we describe the environments and the context that our clinicians are working in, that our students are experiencing, it's complex. And so one of my first initial thoughts is to begin to think about how you can inform what's happening in the environments because you're bringing different energy through tools like mindfulness. So sort of at the individual level, how can we shift the energy in a specific unit or in a certain culture that begins to um, have a ripple effect and we start to have people showing up differently? I think the reality, too, is that um, I certainly have used mindfulness and taking the opportunity to be very thoughtful and intentional in some of the conversations I've had that can be maybe somewhat... Um, creating um, energy that might not be positive, but might cause angst to help say, what else can we be doing in the environments to help, help us get to some of those underlying things in our workflows? Because certainly um, we all have to come together on some of those issues that are impacting our, our workforce and our work environments. It's not one simple answer. I think the thing that I always ground myself in though is that the, the the people who experience that, that we really need to make sure we don't lose sight of is our patients. So we do have to continue to be able to um, strive to make sure we're bringing our best selves and that we're doing what we can do as individuals um, to the patient encounters. But it's a great question. It's a great dilemma. And I think uh, as a community, I'm hoping we'll generate some great conversation through this open school module on that point. Thanks, Kate. Uh, Terry, anything to add to that? Have you kind of heard that sort of refrain or maybe others uh, that raise some questions or doubts? Yes, certainly. I think, um, you know, my, my first thought is that I have become very, very um, friendly with skepticism and that uh, seeing that skepticism is um, not a problem. I think we do need to hear more about what are the resistance areas, where, where can we address that resistance in a way that meets people where they are. Um, secondly, I think that mindfulness, uh, as Kate said, you know, when, when we're practicing mindfulness, we bring a different presence to the environment. 
And so we are the environment for others. And thinking about systems theory, anytime that we change part of the system, we change the system. And so by being mindfulness practitioners, even at the very beginning level, bringing that kind of compassionate awareness actually it not only changes us inside, it helps our well-being, our personal resilience, but then it also begins to impact those around us in a very uh, systematic way that can have far-reaching ripples that often we, we don't see. And then uh, thirdly, I would say, and this is my, my last point, but lastly, I would say that mindfulness does not replace action in the world. And so while we're working on those other very real issues, we can still be practicing mindfulness. So it's not an either or. It's um, very much uh, a practice that can be brought in as we address the very real challenges that face healthcare. Okay, thanks. I want to thank Vanessa, Malia, and Beth uh, sharing their own uh, kind of integration of meditation and mindfulness uh, in their lives. Curious if the three of you uh, or anyone else listening can think about where you might uh incorporate some of this, if you think about what your job is in healthcare, if you think about some of those moments uh, that Kate was talking about, the hand washing, uh, kind of that almost internal regrouping from patient to patient also, uh, even as uh, things can be very stressful. Kate, do you find that nurses are more receptive to this than doctors? And I'm probably going out on a limb here with a big generalization, but uh, have you found anything like that? You know, I think I'm, I'm really, uh, I think, have a great uh, community here in Burlington. There's such rich resources here that um, have really brought forward this idea of mindfulness uh, in really real ways. And I have found that there's been equal interest in both physicians, nurses, and other healthcare providers, I would say, um, to really learn more and to begin to practice and, and think about how we can creatively bring it into the daily clinical work. I think what you'll see when you go on the IHI Open School for those listening is that we tried to capture the voices of many different people on the healthcare team, including the patient. And so um, I have found uh, a generally an equal interest and desire to learn more and to be um, courageous in trying to practice it. One of the things that I'll mention that we've done here at UVM Medical Center is start to think about when, where can we sort of embed this in the culture? And we start any of our meetings in nursing with a mindfulness practice. And what we've done is try to spread the accountability for that among many people. So it gives people the opportunity to learn new skills, to try something new, but we build it into the daily practice of before we start a meeting, we're going to fully arrive into that space and we're going to allow ourselves to transition and to become fully present in that moment so we can have a better, different level of conversation. And I, I found that has been uh, remarkable. What would you say? Thank you. Thanks a lot, uh, uh, Kate. Uh, maybe I should just ask uh, Terry that over there in uh, out there out west in Arizona. Are you also <laughs> finding uh, uh, kind of all, all comers or uh, some kind of uh, more drawn to this than others? 
certainly I have found uh, people are increasingly receptive and responsive to mindfulness, especially as we're getting more data uh, about physician and nurse burnout and depression and even uh, suicidal thoughts and, and suicide. And I think that that has really uh, caught the attention of, of physicians, nurses, and other healthcare providers in a, a very serious way. And knowing that mindfulness is so um, effective in terms of its uh, remedy effect on anxiety and depression, not, of course, to take away from other uh, treatments for, for anxiety, depression, and, and mental uh, health issues. Uh, but certainly, I'm finding a lot of increased awareness, especially over, you know, we, I started this work as a researcher in 2006, and there was a lot of resistance. and and a sort of mystery around it. And now it seems like there's very much acceptance and a willingness and eagerness to learn. Why do you think that is? What's changed apart from time? Uh, and uh, perhaps your, yours and Kate's and others' hard work in this space. But what, what do you think has changed that might be uh, helping people be more receptive? So bluntly, I think our environment, our social environment, has changed in amazing and sometimes really disruptive ways. And that being a human in today's world is different than it ever has been. And that the stakes of anxiety and depression are incredibly high. And so it so too is resilience. So to me, I think I've seen a very big change based on how our society has changed and is changing, and with the threat and promise of technology. You know, I think that technology is amazing. I, I also think that technology has tended to distract us and to help us to get addicted to, to distraction. So that, that's just, I think it's just been this, um, the modern day experience of being human in today's world that has heightened the interest and the need for mindfulness mm -hmm. and compassion. Interesting to think about. Uh, of course, uh, technology has uh, you know, uh, often been on a fast track in healthcare for a while, but now technology is really in every, every aspect of life, and so nobody gets away from it at all, which may be a contributing factor. Um, I thought maybe I, I think I got some, there are some comments now that maybe I might uh, bring into the discussion. Uh, let me start with Rebecca, uh, and maybe, Kate, I'll start with you, and you both can respond. Uh, Rebecca is talking about working with families as a social worker and the degree to which these are emotionally charged situations and how she and perhaps other social workers can find, can use any of this to kind of ground themselves. Um, any, any thoughts on that? Kate, let me start with you. Yeah, I think that's a great question that Rebecca raises, and I definitely see great potential for mindfulness to play a role. And as I think about the, the challenging family meeting that you're about to go in, certainly having some tools in your toolkit around mindfulness and, and getting yourself centered and grounded and being able to shift your focus and be fully present in that and really to lean into whatever the encounter is going to bring without judgment and leaving space for what the family needs to express. I think it's a perfect example of, of how mindfulness can be really, really powerful. I think the other thing that I'm thinking about is just uh, reflecting on some of the, the content in the open school lesson where we share uh, patients' voices that are part of a cancer support group and just what they talk about in terms of how mindfulness has helped them 
in their experience of going through being a person with cancer and from decreasing their anxiety to being able to relate differently to their family members with less stress and, and anxiety in those um, interactions and with their healthcare providers, feeling a different sense of centeredness and calm. So it's really um, very poignant the, the things that they bring forward in terms of how mindfulness has been so powerful for them. Thank you. Uh, Terry, anything you might want to add? Uh, just a couple of things. I, you know, the body scan that we just did, uh, that can be actually done while your eyes are open and you're in a patient encounter. And so just scanning through your body to see, are there any areas of your body that are getting tense while you're in that patient care situation? And what information can you get from that? For instance, are you, are you picking up on some things that aren't being said with words, but they might be being said with uh, body language or with things that aren't aren't uh, being verbalized. So I think using your the, not only your mind but your body and your heart and your your whole being as the instrument of care uh, becomes much easier if you're tuned in to the the um, embodiment of you as the clinician. So that w- that's one thing. And then the second is, you know, often in inpatient care scenarios we encounter really difficult and high-stakes emotion. And sometimes the, the inkling is to try to fix or to smooth or to move on to the next. And mindfulness can really help us um, with others, but also with ourselves, to hold those difficult emotions in a different way. And so acknowledging, accepting, and I know, you know my colleagues in social work know how to do this so extremely well. I've learned a lot <laughs> from them about this. Uh, but, but being able to be present with others as they're on the, a really difficult path without taking any of it on yourself in terms of vicarious trauma. So I think that, that again, mindfulness can help you check in to your involvement in a patient care scenario in a way that can help you be supportive without uh, absorbing any of that uh, trauma yourself as a clinician. Thanks uh, so much. Uh, I want to just put up this uh, slide, John, uh, that Kate provided. Uh, there's an app for that, for this. <laughs> no, for that. <laughs> One of those words. Uh, just some of many of you uh, are, are perhaps familiar uh, with these. I'm familiar with Calm and Headspace. Uh, a question here about resources for nursing leaders, sort of this, uh, how to get this material, these ideas more in front of uh, people in a in a position maybe to uh, start putting this into their trainings, their orientations. Uh, Kate, have I know, of course, we've been pointing to the IHI Open School course, and that's a great uh, place to start. I'm wondering if there have been and are materials sort of specifically directed at nursing leaders. Kate, let me start with you. Yeah. Yes, great question, Madge. We've actually done um, quite a bit of work over the last couple of years to try and get this content in audiences where nurse leaders are present. So. One of the things I'll share is that Terry and I were both part of a team of five who did a three-part series last year in Nursing Management, the journal, that talked specifically about mindfulness in nursing leadership practice. So I would draw the um, audience there to get more detailed information about 
how we've tried to direct some resources and practical tips for leaders through that three-part series. The other thing that we've um, done quite a bit of is speaking at some of the big national professional meetings in nursing. And both Tara and I have had the great opportunity to do that. And I think through those um, sessions, we've definitely made connections and spread learnings about mindfulness. So I think those are just a couple of ways that I'll mention. And of course, as you said, the IHI Open School is, I think, another powerful tool that's really great because it's so accessible to such a wide variety of audiences. Thanks very much. And uh, I want to point out, uh, we got a slide up there right now that has some resources on it in addition to other resources we'll share with you on our website and the uh, nursing management series. Oh, and here is fast and speedy Vicki here. She's got it up here too. Here's the link right in the chat. Uh, So uh, thank you very much uh, for that. I want to just mention something very, very quickly that we hope has some uh, continuous feeling to it. Uh, We're going to, and that is just to point out that we're on the eve here of Patient Safety uh, Awareness Week. Uh, Last May, uh, IHI and the National Patient Safety Foundation merged, and uh, we're thrilled to now be incorporating some wonderful things that NPSF has been doing, such as Patient Safety Awareness Week. It gets underway officially uh, on a Sunday, uh, and on this slide and at the links that you'll see here, um, all kinds of things coming up, Twitter chats, uh, all kinds of ways that you can uh, interact with others, a webcast uh, that's taking place uh, as well on the 12th. Uh, So I hope we can draw your attention to this. And when I decided to do something on mindfulness and patient safety, I was thinking about Patient Safety Awareness Week because we really want to try and connect more dots here uh, about all the possibilities of ways that we can bring uh, focus to what we're doing uh, and uh, reduce errors and be more present uh, in every way that's possible. So thank you for that. What I want to do now is uh, I think just kind of uh, offer uh, both Kate and Terry a chance uh, just to kind of wrap up here and uh, with whatever you'd like to say. I mean, it's just been such a privilege to have you both uh, part of our, our program today and uh, anything with that you might want to point to uh, that we should look for or how we might get off a show like today and what to do next. Uh, anything you feel like it. Let me start with Terry. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, so, so to me, sort of the, the culmination is the best thing that you can do is practice. And so if you haven't started a practice, please consider doing so. And if you have a practice, please continue. And I'll just leave you with a a word picture that I I came across a few weeks ago that has really meant a lot to me. And that is that if you were carrying a cup of coffee across the room and you got uh, jangled and, and fell, what would come out of your cup? It would be coffee. And likewise, if you were carrying a cup of water across the room and you got uh, disrupted and it spilled, what would come out? It would be water. Uh, if you are carrying in your container, as seeing yourself as the cup, if you're carrying anger and hostility and hurt uh, and you get jangled, what comes out? It's that. And of course, if you have in your cup love and compassion and a sense of positive presence, then when life does 
uh, jar you and jangle you, which it does, uh, that that is what will spill out. And so we're all responsible for putting into our cup what we, what we want to share with others. Thank you very much, Terry. It's been a real pleasure for, uh, for all of us uh, to um, share in your wisdom today. Thank you. Kate, uh, some parting thoughts for today? Yeah, I, my message would be to just start simple and make a promise to yourself to try maybe one or two small things. And Terry actually gave some great examples of some very simple ways in the course of your daily life that you might think about incorporating mindfulness. So whether you're someone who's a list maker, if you start to incorporate in your list what's going to be your intention for the day, gratitude or wholeheartedness, fully being present. Or if you're someone who is part of your routine, you have meals together with your family, maybe starting a family meal with some mindfulness practice. So just think about those very simple ways that you can start it's something very simple that's part of what you're doing already and bring this practice into it. And um, I think that's a great investment for all of you to just take a moment and invest in yourself and your daily lives. Okay. Thank you so much, Kate and Terry, for being uh, part of our program today. Thank you all for being such an attentive and tuned in audience to these ideas. We look forward to hearing from you more. Uh, any thoughts? If you have a moment, we've got a kind of broad survey that we're circulating right now about uh, giving, getting a sense of how you're interacting with WIHI and how we can always make it better. And there's also a survey uh, as you log off today's program that you can tell us uh, how you found today's show. But again, a big thank you to my guests and to our audience. Um, very special program. Uh, coming up on March 22nd, uh, WIHI, we're going to be talking about mobility matters for age-friendly care. Uh, there is an age-friendly health initiative uh, going on here at IHI with support from the John A. Hartford Foundation. Lots of very, very interesting possibilities uh, Possibilities here. You can learn about the four M's, and I won't say any more to uh, increase your curiosity. And I hope you'll think about joining that program. A reminder you can download the chat and any slides we use for our discussion today. There's a brief survey about the show, and maybe you also wouldn't mind filling out this uh, broader survey. Check out the archive pages of WIHI on IHI.org. By tomorrow morning, you'll find the audio, you'll find the chat, you'll find the slides, and you'll find the wonderful uh, resource document uh, that Vicki Minden. Uh, provides. And also you can find the program on iTunes. Uh, think about subscribing to the Institute for Healthcare Improvement so this will automatically download every time there's a new show. Any questions whatsoever, you can email info at IHI.org. They're a great group who helped make WIHI possible. That They include John Gothier, Matt Morse, Vicki Minden, Joanna Carmona, Jameson Case, and Val Weber. And it's my privilege to host this program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Mindfully yours, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone. <laughs>